Well, good morning again. Okay. Uh, before we begin with the message this morning, uh, Steve, would you like to introduce our visitors here? Christopher and Sister. Christopher and Sister. Oh. Christopher actually found us on the website and called me this week, and Steve was nice enough to go pick them up and bring them to church. They wanted to visit, and they needed a ride. And then, okay, she disappeared. I wanted to introduce you to Sharon. I just met her. She uh, was in the wheelchair here. I don't know what happened to her, but if you see her around, please greet Sharon as well. I want to ask something. When you think of the word power, what do you think of generally? You might think of authority maybe political power, maybe economic power. Certainly we hear a lot of debate these days about who has the power to do what. You might think of influence, which is a kind of power to move us to think or act in certain ways. And of course, there are others who think of Glinda, the good witch of the North, and what she said to the wicked witch of the West. You stay on this window, or I'll fix you as well. Oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops the house on you. You have no power here. One of my favorite lines. When I think of these things, I think of uh, these kinds of things, but uh, many other different things come to mind. When we're working here in the office, for example, and a thunderstorm moves through, I think of electric power. You know why? Because often we don't have any. Here's what that looks like. <laughs> Electrical power is vital to our daily lives and we often don't recognize how incredibly important it is and how much we take it for granted until we don't have it. The other thing I think of, uh, the other thing I think of when I think of power is nature, which of course we as Christians know is created by and is under the control of the power of our Heavenly Father. I think of things like earthquakes. I think of tornadoes, I think of lightning and thunder, I think of hurricanes, I think of volcanoes. In recent weeks we can't hardly ever uh, think about nature without thinking of the power of volcanoes. Pictures and video reveal the awesome power of volcanoes. And what we note about the power of nature is not just how awesome it looks in some ways, but it's power to literally change the landscape and as a result to change people's lives. When tornadoes come through, when volcanoes come through, when earthquakes, it changes the landscape and it changes people's lives. And that relates to what I'd like to explore here for a few minutes this morning. One of the other things that we believers think of when we think of power, of course, is the power of God, or at least we should. Even then, when we think of power and we think of the power of God, we probably tend to mostly think of the spectacular. We think of mighty creative acts. We tend to think of amazing miracles, don't we? Here's a Random House Dictionary definition of power. And for our purposes this morning, I'm highlighting just four of the definitions. The ability to do or act, capability of doing or accomplishing something, great or marked ability to do or act, strength, might, force, the possession or con of control or command over others, authority, ascendancy, like the power over men's minds, and delegated authority, authority granted to a person or persons in a particular office or capacity, as in the powers of the president. We see some synonyms, too, of power, like capacity, energy, strength, 
things like that. Though it's sometimes not the case that our modern-day usage of a word corresponds fairly closely to the biblical idea we see in a word. In this case, power as dictionary defined and power as viewed in the word of God are actually very similar. The word used for power most often in the Greek is dunamis. It's one of the Greek words translated in our various English translations as power. It means literally to be able. Remember that as we move along. All the words derived from the root word have the meaning of being able or being capable. It may even mean to will. There's another theological dictionary that says power is an English logical construct referring to a variety of ideas relating to ability, capacity, authority, and might or strength. So the Greek word is the word from which we get our English word dynamic as well as dynamite. Dynamic, for example, is pertaining to or characterized by energy or effective action, vigorously active or forceful. So power is a key concept in scripture and it encompasses a lot. There's one Bible dictionary that points out that in Greek thought, power was portrayed as a major cosmic principle. The Greeks viewed God and cosmic principle as equivalent, almost one and the same. It was rare for them to speak of the power of God since these ideas were nearly equivalent. In the Bible, however, God is a person. He's not merely power. So a phrase like the power of God takes on new meaning because a person who possesses this characteristic of power is also in our Christian worldview the prime mover of the universe, the powerful one, almighty God. God brings the world into existence and he distributes power to people to fulfill his historic purposes. So the biblical description of power always relates primarily to God and his interaction with people. That's the view of power I want to look at in scripture this morning. Clearly God's mighty acts of creation, his complete control over the power of nature, which we often think of when we think of power, his amazing miracles in scripture, his miracles in our own time, are awesome signs of his power. Yet it's even more amazing to me, and this is the aspect of power I want to consider, it's even more amazing to me when I consider how this almighty God, a God who's omnipotent, that means all-powerful, that's another way of saying almighty. When I think of how our omnipotent God works in people and through people, and sometimes he does that in ways we can see, and also there's other times he does it in ways that are transparent to us. But in doing these things, he accomplishes not only his grand scheme of history and redemption, but also to get to that end, he accomplishes his specific purposes in each and every individual life. Now think about that. That's power. That's power. Even the mighty things he does, the amazing miracles, and yes, even the acts of nature are designed in ways we can sometimes see and in ways we can't understand, but it's always to impact his plan with people or with groups of people, with individual people or both, shaping human history. This is the biblical truth that I want to ponder today. The Apostle Paul pondered this great truth, and it caused him to fall on his knees in worship before God. 
as we'll see here in a moment. Our God is an awesome God. Now that just happens to be a line from a familiar Rich Mullins song. It's also the closing theme for Bible Bowl each session. And I've thought about this phrase of the song often. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Now those three attributes of our awesome God, wisdom, power, and love, are so closely intertwined, they're so inescapably interrelated, that any one without the other would make God less than he really is, and different than he really is. His power, for example, unaccompanied by his wisdom and love, would actually be terrifying. The passage of scripture that prompted my line of thinking this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14 and 15 reads like this. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And we're going to see the reason for kneeling that Paul's talking about as we move along. Here is Paul's response to the wisdom of God and the vast scope of his plan throughout eternity. But isn't that often our response to power too? A display of power leaves our mouths kind of wide open with amazement sometimes, doesn't it? Like jaw-dropping, right? Paul knew that the wisdom and scope of God's plan, which had been outlined in the verses prior to this verse as well as in the previous chapter, these things were brought about by God's amazing power. Not necessarily just the power that we can see, but perhaps even more often in the power we can't see at work until we get a glimpse of the results, especially in people. When we go to Beaver Lake, I'm always amazed at the smoothness of some of the rock formations that we see in addition to the way that there are all these interesting niches seemingly scraped out of the rocks. In fact, that's what's happened. They are scraped out of the rocks, and most often they're scraped out of the rocks by the power of water. We don't think of water as a powerful thing, but incessantly, over years and years, lapping at the surface of these rocks until they're either smooth or there's indentations. And if you looked at this without the knowledge of what was happening or what had happened, You'd never call that water powerful, but inevitably, inexorably, the water does have its genuine, permanent, powerful impact on the rocks. I believe that this is just a small glimpse of how God works, how God's power works in people. Part of God's unseen kingdom deeds among us include an amazing power, a supernatural power to accomplish his purposes to advance his kingdom, individually, corporately, nationally, internationally, and eternally, by using us, those believers who belong to him, and even by using people who never acknowledge his lordship in their lives. God's kingdom is a kingdom of his power and authority. It is a supernatural kingdom where his omnipotence, his almightiness, rules, and reigns. The Apostle Paul knew this, and he referenced the power of God often, but he also related it clearly to God's wisdom. Ephesians 3, where we're, where we're reading, and if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there because we're going to spend some time there. Ephesians 3 provides several examples. For example, in verse 7, 
He wrote, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. We see that. How did Paul come to serve Jesus? Well, he came by God's grace. Of course, that's how we all come to God. We come through God's grace. That's how we come to serve him. But his grace was provided to Paul, how? By the working of his power. I'd submit to you this morning that this is how God's grace reaches all of us. Maybe not as dramatically as it did for Paul, but nevertheless, God's grace is given to us by the working of God's power. The word working here in Greek is the word from which we get our English word energy. So it's kind of a double whammy. Paul's saying that God's grace was given to him by the energy of God's power. Of course, Paul did experience a miracle. God visited him in what we could only call a very powerful way. Steve, let's just give up on that and we'll use this, okay? He was temporary. Well, the voice of the Lord. He was temporarily blinded, wasn't he? We remember that story later to be healed of that blindness. But where is the real miracle in Paul's conversion story? Is it the fact that he saw the risen Christ? Is it the fact that he was blinded and then healed? Well, I think it's just like the miracle in my story and in your story. For Paul, for you, for me, it's in our deeply changed hearts, in the new creation that we become. And that's the power of God, too. After all, thinking of Paul, here's a man who not only wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he was a persecutor of those who follow Jesus. So God went to extraordinary means to get his attention. He blinded him. He knocked him to the ground, allowing Paul to hear the voice of Jesus, and then a few days later healed him of this blindness. But think of this, too. There's many people who've experienced all kinds of miraculous intervention in their lives, and they never responded. They never changed the way Paul did. So the real miracle here is that Paul not only quit persecuting Christians, but he became one himself. God's power to change hearts turned Paul's heart around. God, in his wisdom, did what he needed to do to get Paul's attention, to draw Paul into his kingdom. He did this not just because he loved Paul, because he clearly did, but also because he had a purpose for Paul. It was a purpose that didn't end with the apostle Paul, but it rippled beyond Paul to those whose lives Paul touched, and then to those whose lives were touched by those whose lives Paul touched. And we could go on and on, onward and onward, all the way through history to us today. Then in verse 10 and 11, we see Paul writing, his intent, referring to God's intent, here's what God intended. His intent was that now, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's eternal purposes were revealed. They are being revealed. They are put on display through the church. That's us, folks. That's us. We are the church. God, in his wisdom, and accompanied by his power, and because of his love for us, has chosen to display his wisdom to the angels through us. 
That's an awesome thought. That's an amazing thing to ponder. It's all part of his plan. It's all part of his purposes. And these purposes which were established before the beginning of time. Verse 11 says this happened according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Jesus. And then in verse 16, we see Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here we see Paul talking about strength in us, again, through what? His power. And then again in verses 20 and 21, now to him who is able, there's another power word. Remember we saw at the beginning that uh, dunamis has the meaning of being capable. So it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the means by which God answers prayer is revealed to us in the expression according to his power that is at work within us. This refers, of course, to the Holy Spirit who's constantly at work in our lives seeking to produce the fruit of a Christ-like character, rebuking us because of sin, guiding us in prayer, inspiring us in worship, and directing us in service to him. So think about this. The more that we are yielded to him, the greater will be his effectiveness in conforming us and making us more like Christ day by day, moment by moment. Do you notice how throughout this chapter, the third chapter of Ephesians, we see Paul connecting God's wisdom and his power with his perfect plan? They go together. It's power with a purpose. It's power with an end in mind. And that end is his plan of redemption. But ultimately, the accomplishment of that plan of redemption brings glory to God. We started out with Paul recognizing the amazing wisdom, the incredibly far-reaching scope, the incredible power which is shown through God's plan of redemption. The context here in Ephesians is the reconciliation of the Gentiles, who can now, because of what Jesus has done, share in God's kingdom with God's specifically, specially chosen people, the Jews. So Paul wrote, and here we get to what we talked about at the beginning, for this reason, why did Paul feel compelled to fall to his knees? And why do we fall to our knees? We fall to our knees in worship. What reason? God's plan. God's plan. And not just the plan, of its, uh, the plan itself, but the amazing scope of the plan and the power with which this plan was worked out. It's a plan that spans human history, and it took wisdom and power to bring this plan to pass and to bring it to completion. And now initially, Paul is commenting on the Jews and Gentiles reconciled, but ultimately, God's plan is his plan of redemption that the Jews and the Gentiles share in equally. That's what caused Paul to note, I fall on my knees in worship, recognizing the wisdom, the vast scope and the power it took to accomplish God's plan. The only appropriate response to God's wisdom, power, and love is worship. When I first began to ponder this passage, I tended to first think of his plan in terms of how it affects me, right? Isn't that what most of us do? That's pretty human of me. 
even in these tremendous things of God that we ponder, even though his plan encompasses every person who ever lived, even though it's been in place since before time began, my first thought was, uh, how does this affect me? We frail, very self-focused human beings often view things through the lens of what does it mean to us. And of course, in this case, it does mean something to us, something pretty significant, because even though God's plan is so much larger than us as individuals, even though it was put into place before the world began, even though it has continued to operate throughout human history, it operates today and it will be worked out by God's wisdom, power, and love long after I'm no longer an active participant in God's big drama. It does impact each one of us as individual believers. After all, we're saved as individuals. But I believe there's a better way to think of this rather than from me outward. I believe Paul's words compel us to think of it this way. We need to start from the greatness of God's plan, the macro, the big stuff, right? And then think inward to the micro. I'm the micro rather than start with the impact on me and then see how it ripples out from there. That is God's masterful, awesome plan of redemption, the plan that caused Paul to say, for this reason I kneel before God, is so incredibly far-reaching, so amazingly large and all-encompassing, that even though it guides every event in human history, it also embraces little old me. Not only does it embrace us as believers in Jesus by including us in God's plan of redemption and saving our souls from eternity apart from God, but God's power, in ways I can only imagine, includes our actions, it includes our obedience, it includes our service to him. It includes each of us. The outworking of his plan includes those who don't know God as well. That's another amazing thing about his power. Those who don't follow him and probably never will. Our great and almighty, all-powerful God is able to use even those who don't know they are cooperating with his plans and his purposes. We see in Proverbs 21 verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So that means the heart of the king, and of course that's any ruler, We still have kings in some parts of the world. We have presidents. We have prime ministers. But their heart are the plans that are in the hands of God. They're all in God's hands. A farmer directs water by digging canals to direct the water where he wants it to go. And in a similar way, the Lord directs the hearts of kings. And we see that throughout Scripture. We see examples like Pharaoh in Exodus. We see Cyrus in Isaiah. We see Artaxerxes in uh, Ezra and in Nehemiah, we see how the Lord directed these rulers to accomplish his purposes. So God uses anyone and everyone to reveal his manifold wisdom to accomplish his eternal purposes. An amazing thing. That's power, folks. That's power. We can choose to be a cooperative tool in loving response to God's power and his love at work in our individual lives. Or we can be used by God unwillingly. But either way, in God's perfect wisdom, through his unlimited power, and in view of his unending love, we're part of the working of his plan and purpose. I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, but I want to be a willing vessel. 
I want to be a willing vessel. I want to be a cooperative tool in God's tool chest. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm among, most of you, maybe all of you are among, the us who are being saved. And the implication here is clear as well. Some are perishing and some are being saved. So to me, being a cooperative tool is being utilized as part of his plan and his purpose through the power of God. We read a few verses later, also in 1 Corinthians, in verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. One of those great paradoxes that we see in Scripture. Here once more we see God's power and wisdom. We see it spoken of together at the same time. Christ crucified the focal point of the gospel, the focal point of our salvation, God's eternal plan of redemption. So Paul here, writing to the Corinthians, calls this both the power of God and the wisdom of God. God has complete control through his wisdom and power. And this means he not only can, but he will, he will accomplish his eternal purposes. Not just in us, as individuals who've received his wonderful gift of salvation, but in human history. Now, I don't know about you, but thinking about these truths from God's word is incredibly comforting to me in the age that we live in. God will accomplish his eternal purposes. When times look dark in the world or in my life, God is almighty. When life is hard, Around me or in me, God is almighty. Some additional related verses. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, we could use that passage of scripture and preach a whole message on it. But let me just use it to emphasize the things we've been looking at. The word for works here is, again, the word we looked at just a bit ago. It's God's energy in you. It's empowering us. It's enabling us to do what God purposes, what he has in mind for us to do. As Paul writes, to act according to his good purpose. Acting is doing, right? But his power, his energy even enables our will. Now, admittedly, this is something I don't fully understand. And if anybody does, please approach me after the church service and you can explain it to me. But clearly, folks, we have a will. We can choose to believe or not. We can choose to act or not. But it's God's power that enables us to believe and to act and to do his will. I don't get it, but that's what Scripture teaches, so I'm going to stand on that. Our wills must be energized by God. God gives us the wanna. When you don't wanna, say, God, give me the wanna. I wanna do this because I know you want me to do this. Right? So, 
This is one of the things that causes me to respond as Paul did in Ephesians 3.14. Matthew Henry says, It's the grace of God that inclines the will toward the good and then enables us to perform it. When I think of how God can, without violating our freedom to choose to believe or our freedom to choose to obey and to act, God can still move in such a way that he's moving toward the completion of his eternal plan, a plan that will not be thwarted or hindered or in any way at all sidetracked. I'm with Paul, folks. I have to say right along with Paul, when I think of God's wisdom and I think of his power, when I think of the scope of his eternal plan, I must fall to my knees in worship. We can say what Paul said to the Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 29, to this end I labor with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I labor, his energy works powerfully in me. As we prepare to close, I'd like to read another passage from Ephesians. And this would be my prayer for all of us this morning. From chapter 1, verse 17, beginning with verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what Paul said. Incomparably great power for us who believe. Here the word power again is dunamis. But Paul needs to be have a little bit more to describe God's power. So he goes on. He said, this power is the working. And there's that word for energy again. Then he adds, it's the working of his might. That's another word for power. A power that overcomes resistance. And then Paul refers to God's strength. This is still another word, synonymous with power. So this word emphasizes more forcefulness, ability, and might. In one sentence here, we see aspects of God's power described in four different words. We see it described as power. We see it described as energy. We see it described as might and strength. And all of these things, he says, are compared favorably to the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That means the power at work in us and through us is resurrection power. Says, that's what it says, folks. It's the same power. It's resurrection power. What he says here is that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is for us who believe. It's the same power God used for our redemption, and now God is using that same power in us, through us, to preserve us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to energize us for his service, and to change us more and more every day into his image. He is using this power through us to move his amazing plan toward completion, and we can cooperate. It seems that the only appropriate way to close a message like this 
when we've surveyed such amazing, incredible truths about God is where Paul ended up often. Paul ended up often in the New Testament in doxology, in praise to the great and awesome and almighty God that we serve. So we're going to close with these verses again from Ephesians 3 where we've dwelt a lot this morning in this message. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that your power is still at work in this world today. We're grateful, Father, that though we can look in Scripture and see many descriptions of your power at work, we can look around us and see that power at work as well. We can see it at work in history. We can see it at work in human hearts. Father, help us to cooperate. Help us to be willing vessels, Father. Help us to access that resurrection power, Father, to change us. Help us to access that resurrection power, Father, to equip us to be your servants and to do your will, Heavenly Father. We thank you for these great truths, and we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.